Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Who knows you best? Your parents? Your spouse? Your best friend? As we work to know God better, we can rest assured that the one who made us knows us best of all. Here's First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun with a Christmas weekend sermon. You know, God created us as funny and strange people. We are people who don't like to be embarrassed or ashamed. And this has been a really hard season, right? With all of the changes we've had to make and swiveling and changing that sometimes we go, oh man, I, I don't look great. Or why did I do that? Or, you know, and all that. And, um, you know, did you know that in soccer or as the Europeans call it, football, um, if it is a penalty kick, if you're not familiar with that in soccer, it's when one team has a chance to place on the ground the ball um, and they're unguarded and then the kicker tries to kick the ball into a net, into the goal, about 12 yards away. It's between the kicker and the opposing team goalkeeper who protects the goal. No one else, just those two during the penalty kick. One kick, one try, one point, which could win the game. Now here is a strange statistic. Before the kicker makes his kick, or her kick, the goalkeeper has already decided in his or her mind if he or she is going to jump left or right to try to block the ball. The goalkeeper has to make that choice ahead of time because there isn't that much time to adjust once the kicker starts running up to the ball to make the kick into the net. Statszone.com has done the research and it shows that the goalkeeper will jump to the left to block the ball 49.3% of the time and will jump to the right 47.3% of the time. Only 3% of the time the goalie will just stands there to block a center kick. Only 3% of the time. But get this, 26% of the kicks go straight down the center and that will strike gold nearly every time. Now this brings us to two interesting points. One, why don't goalies protect the center more often? Because it's probably a mentality issue. The goalie doesn't want to look stupid just standing there as if he's doing nothing. So the goalie jumps to the right or to the left at least try to look active in trying to stop the ball from going in. But to me, the, the more interesting point is that is if a kicker knows that only 3% of the time does a goalie stay in the center for a penalty shot, then a kicker should kick down the middle every time because only 3% of the time does a goalie stand there. But why doesn't a kicker do that more often? A clear winner. Because he doesn't want to feel shame if he kicks it right as a, at a goalie who's just standing there and catches the ball. Even though 97% of the time, the goalie is jumping left or right. No one wants to risk being shamed or looking foolish, both for the goalie or the kicker even though a kicker could score more points, win more games, win more championships, if he or she just kicks down the center. You know, it's kind of like in basketball. 
you know, it's proven, I once mentioned in a sermon, that if you do free throws underhand, like that, you have a much higher percentage of success than shooting overhead the normal way. You will score more points underhand, then you will meet, win more games and win more championships. But players don't do that, do they? Because they don't want to look foolish shooting underhand, what is sometimes called the granny shot. God created us funny beings called humans. We can be so much into achievement, but whether in sports or other areas, we have idiosyncrasies and we don't want to look silly or be worried that people might laugh at us. So what does this have to do with Christmas that we just experienced this past week? It has a lot to do with it. It has a lot to do of how God gives us gifts. God is so different from us. He doesn't let looks or how others uh, may perceive him stop him from doing what he had planned to do or what he needs to do. He doesn't care if he gets judged or sh shamed for his decisions. What's important to him is that we experience his love. And he will be incredibly creative in how he loves and communicates with each one of us to draw us near him. When God decided to come to earth, he was in a sense giving himself as a gift to us. We would get to see what God was like in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. God would live with us and laugh with us and love us and show us what justice means and how he would care for the poor and the downtrodden, those who are suffering. But he also knew we are funny little beings with certain insecurities. And so God had to come to us in a way that we would receive it. He didn't want to come in a way that would make us feel dumb or stupid or ashamed. Nor did he want to come in a pompous way. He was, after all, the Almighty God. He could have arrived, born in a beautiful, comfortable palace in fine satin linens with a gold bassinet and a platinum stroller. He could have come with many servants. He could have come with displaying many miraculous powers and even thunder and lightning. But no, he came instead in a way that every person would encounter him that night who could relate to him in a way that fits exactly that person's personality, even if it meant for Jesus to be born in a stable, in a manger. For it would show he was for every common person. In that sense, God is the perfect gift giver. He knows what we like. He knows what we need and gives according to that need. On the other hand, I am the worst gift giver. My wife normally returns my gifts almost every time. Stores hate me when I buy a gift for Pam because they know it's going to come back as a return, asking for credit, and there goes their commission. Last week was our 40th wedding anniversary. Woohoo! And I still haven't got it right. It's better that she just tells me what I should buy. And that's how it works for our marriage over the years. And she gets exactly what she wants. God, on the other hand, is the perfect gift giver. 
And I'm going to show you how God communicated with each person in the Christmas story in a way that was perfect for that person to receive Jesus Christ in a way that he or she would understand. And it would give us insight to his love and how he's always reaching out to us if we would only but listen. So let's read our Christmas passage one more time, as I know we have heard it many times this month. Let's start with the wise men. They're sometimes called the Magi. Let's read about their very first appearance in the Bible. And it says this in Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, first of all, according to the Bible, there weren't three wise men. Did you notice that in the scripture? Hallmark cards says there were three, but they didn't read that in the Bible. Not sure how many of them there were, but we do know this. They were scientifically minded. Historian William Barclay believed they were skilled in philosophy and medicine and natural science. They were astronomers and studied the movement of stars, believing that the foretelling of the future could be seen in the sky and that your destiny could be determined by the star you were born under. And many in their society, as they were, were astrologers. Hence, is it not interesting that God used their cultural context, their way of scientific interpretation and understanding to tell them that Jesus was coming? If you are scientifically oriented, God will use science to bring you closer to him. If you are into science, you need not have to abandon uh, it to understand or to seek God. National Institute of Health Director and Templeton Award winner and the one who led the Human Genome Project on better understanding the DNA is Dr. Francis Collins. 
in his book called The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief, Collins argues that, quote, belief in God can be an entirely rational choice. How's that from a scientist? In fact, he and his wife founded the nonprofit BioLogos Foundation in 2007, which promotes the view that God is active in science. Francis Collins says that science is a little glimpse of God's mind. In a way, that's what science is doing. He said it's glimpsing God's mind and being in awe of it. God, the perfect gift maker and giver, used ancient science to communicate to these ancient scientists, the wise men, the gift of Jesus, the ultimate gift. Then there are the shepherds. Let me read Luke chapter 2 for us about the shepherds. Now, here's what it says. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Amen. Now, shepherds, did you know, were seen as the low end of the totem pole of Jewish life. They were seen as unclean, sometimes immoral, dirty, and here's what historian William Barclay said about ancient Palestinian shepherds. It's a wonderful thing that the story should tell that the first announcement of God came to some shepherds. Shepherds were despised by the orthodox good people of the day. They were unable to keep the details of the ceremonial law. They could not observe all the meticulous hand washing and rules and regulations. Their flocks made constant demands on them, and so the Orthodox looked down on them. It was to simple men of the fields that God's message first came. The words of William Barclay. So, how did God gift them with the communication about Jesus coming in a way that they would understand and be lifted up and encouraged? He used the miraculous. He honored them with a host of angels. And God said, okay, your society may say you are low, but in my eyes, you are so important that I'm not going to send you not one angel, not two, not three, but a whole 
army of angels, and they will sing to you, yes, you. And you're the very first people, other than Joseph and Mary, on Christmas night, to know that Jesus was born. And you may have been seen as unimportant in society, but know that Jesus came to love all people. And in fact, he will refer to himself as the good shepherd. He said he is like the door that protects the, the sheep's pen, the one who would lay down his life for his sheep. He is like you and me, but perfect. And Jesus' arrival was tailor-made for the underappreciated shepherds to see and hear. And then there's Joseph. So remember his story in the Gospels? It said this in Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child for the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. So what do we know about Joseph? Joseph was a good man, a decent man, a man of integrity who followed the law and morals of society. When he discovered that Mary, his betrothed, was pregnant, even though he didn't have any intimate relations with her, he was in despair. He had to follow the law. He thought he had to break the engagement. So God interceded and gifted him with an angel to talk to him personally and directly and explain what was happening, that Mary was going to give birth to the Messiah. And God gifted Joseph with the understanding of grace that Mary didn't do anything wrong and that he must remain loyal to her. So, sometimes, those of us who are so much into rules and regulations must experience the gift of grace and forgiveness from God. Life is more than the law. The law is not bad, but we must always look beyond the law to see what God is doing. And God sent an angel to communicate a higher law and understanding to Joseph. What a gift! And then, of course, Finally, there is Mary. And hear this from the Bible. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. So for her, what did she need? Mary was a scared teenager, frightened, anxious, bewildered. She must have thought, how did I become pregnant? What's happening? Joseph is leaving me. My whole world is crashing down. And Mary needed a divine intervention from a loving God. And so God sent to her an angel to talk to her. And he gifted her with something she would need that we would all need for the coming challenges in life, especially during a pandemic. And she would have tremendous challenges and suffering in her life. Through the angel Gabriel, God gifted her with hope and faith. And the angel said to her, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's all she needed to hear. That's a word we all need to hear. Nothing is impossible with God. Don't lose hope. God can make the confusing in life understood. God will give us what we need at the time. It might not be at the speed we want it, but he will give us the strength we need to bear the losses we have or give us relief from our anxiety if we turn towards him. God is the best gift giver. I'm always looking forward to hear from him and to see what he's going to do next. I always talk to him constantly. God has always sent me what I needed at the time. Always. It doesn't have to be a big thing, like an angel talking or singing to me. It might be something small. You just have to be patient and look for it and listen for it. You know, I've shared with you all that um, I have a phobia. Now, a phobia is an irrational fear or anxiety about something. And for me, one of my phobias is getting vaccines, getting shots. Yeah, great time to have that phobia in society. Ever since I was a young child, I feared injections tetanus, diphtheria, measles, typhoid, which was the worst, the shot in the lower part of the arm, you name it. And then when I became a young adult, I had to get allergy shots in each arm once a week. And then it became once every two weeks, then twice a month. And then I thought that God was trying to get me over the phobia by saying, okay, I'm going to give you more shots. Not funny, God didn't go away. So when COVID came, what I did not want to see is what seemed ubiquitous, were newscasts showing people getting shots over and 
over and over again. I mean, really, every newscast, every newspaper, every magazine, needles going into arms. I always had to like, look away, really? But I got two shots of Moderna and a booster and a flu shot in addition to my monthly allergy shots. Whole pokes all over me. I guess that's why I'm so holy. But then my doctor said, I bet, I, I think you should get a shingles shot. Really? One more shot? Doc, doc said, hey look man, shingles could be really bad for you and some people get the, that disease for life and um, yeah, some people say it's really pa painful but please get a shot. And I once had shingles, I mean it was super painful. I remember, I mean, just my t-shirt on my shingles um, stomach was truly painful. And my doctor said, um, and if you have a lot of stress in your life, it might make you more prone to it. Ha! Me, a pastor with stress. I live in stress. I laugh and scoff at it in his face. Ha! Stress. Well, then a good friend said she had a shingle shot and it was the most painful shot she's ever had and her husband got the shingle shot and he was sick for three days. I didn't need to hear that. I could feel my phobia percolating and dread was sweeping in on me. So last month I went to CVS to get my first of two shingle shots and I was talking to God about it all day and I went when I walked into CVS, I said, okay, God, this is it. You better help me with my phobia. And as I got in line, lo and behold, were two of our church members, Steve and Flo Egesaw. And they were right in front of me for their first time shingles shots. It was great. Steve and Flo and I talked a lot, which made my anxiety float away, disappear. And also I could see that the pharmacist who was giving the shot was the same one who gave me my flu shot two weeks ago or whatever weeks ago and the, and the, and the flu shot didn't hurt. So that gave me hope that this shingles shot wouldn't hurt either. Then Steve and Flo got their shots and I looked at them. Flo didn't seem to wince. That was good, encouraging. And then Steve got his shot. He didn't wince either. God, this is great. Steve got a shot. He was kind of staring out into the open space. But then I noticed a spot of blood on his arm. And it got bigger and bigger. Maybe it was the size of a quarter. And I said, Steve, you're bleeding. Immediately, the pharmacist got him a Band-Aid. And I thought to myself, great, he's a gusher. Woe is me, and I'm next. So come, Lord Jesus, come right now. Enough with the humor, Lord. Not funny. Well, I got my shot. Guess what? It didn't hurt at all. And I didn't bleed like Steve the gusher did. Zero side effects later. But then I did hear the pharmacist say to a different cu customer, that was the second shingle shot in two months that might burn and have side effects. Great. Always another challenge after a blessing.
But I say this as God, the great gift giver, gives us what we need. But the great gift he gives us is not painless shots. It's his son. Believing in Jesus is the greatest inoculation against sin. It's the vaccine for eternal life. And we have to understand that God gave us Jesus. We can have an ongoing eternal friendship with God through Christ. And that's the best Christmas gift of all. It is called Christmas, Christmas. So even if you did not get a single physical gift this Christmas, know that God gave you the best gift in the world, his son. And he lived for us, and he suffered for us, and he died for us. And we can talk to him every day, and he talks to us if we just listen. He encourages us. And if we learned, if we have faith in him, then nothing is impossible for God. And it's not that we are to live a life of being consumers, but when God tells us to do something, like being a pastor who has to live with stress on the job, that God will task us, but always come alongside of us to bless us in a unique way just for us. And when God gives us gifts, I believe he tailor makes each blessing, each response to a prayer just for us. And when we feel we are going to do something that makes us feel ashamed, like a soccer kicker or a goalie, God says, don't sweat it. I'm with you. No worry about what people say about you or anything. So you know how I normally pray a healing prayer for people on Christmas Eve or Eve Eve? Well, when I do that, the Lord reaches out to bless everyone in the room or online in a way that will heal and help them with their unique we uh, needs. And so I'd like to do that one more time this morning on this Christmas weekend. And I would like to pray for miraculous healing for anyone who desires a healing right now. So right now I'm going to ask you, um, before we bow our head and close our eyes, if you have a physical need, just put your hand on or near the area that needs healing. And if you have an emotional need, put your hand on your heart. And I'm going to pray that wherever you are, whatever part of the world, in Hawaii or on the mainland or beyond, that God will heal you right now. So let's pray. Lord, you know everyone's needs where they are. And Lord, I'm going to ask you for healing specifically for each person of what they're requesting. And Lord, as I just talked about, you know exactly what every person needs and how they would need a, some kind of response or encouragement. And so for those, Lord, who first of all have a physical need, I pray that your Holy Spirit might flow through them right now from the top of their heads like a gentle stream through the bottom of their feet, flowing right through them and cleansing them and healing them and go right to the area that they might want a miraculous healing. If it's their back, Lord, maybe it's a disc that needs healing. Or a, a hearing issue, like tinnitus or tinnitus. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, bodies be healed. 
if it's a shoulder or a neck or a knee or a lower back pain, a foot ailment, in the name of Jesus Christ, bodies be healed. If it's a stomach issue, a lymph node issue, Lord, if it's a disease, a cancer, some other disease, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, bodies be healed. If it's for somebody out there who desires to be pregnant, I pray, Lord, for that mom to be in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray for that person. Whatever the physical need might be, Lord, I pray for healing for them in your name. And then for those who might have an emotional issue, I pray that you might bring light into the midst of their darkness. If those, for those who might be feeling overwhelmed, that the stress is too much, Lord, give them encouragement and hope. For those who might feel depressed or in despair, Lord, I pray for encouragement and healing for them. May somehow the burden on their shoulders and their hearts be lifted. For those who have lost a loved one through death or divorce, Lord, minister to their souls. Let them know you can be their friend and you're always there to help and encourage. For those who might be dealing with some kind of guilt, Lord, if it's something they need to repent of and admit, be with them, Lord. Enable them to do that. And for those who need to forgive or receive forgiveness, Lord, may they be empowered and encouraged to do that. And for those who might be fighting an addiction, Lord, I pray that you help them with that and heal them and lead them to understand that in you, that the higher power has a name and it's Jesus. And if they lean on you, they have a better chance for healing. Lord, all these things we give unto you, and I pray in your name for your healing and your miraculous power be bestowed upon them. In the name of Jesus, may their souls and bodies be healed. In Christ's name, amen. Again, thank you for being with us and worshiping with us. We're so glad to connect with you in this way. I'm sorry again that we couldn't meet in person, but due to the sickness we've had on staff, we just had to make a lot of changes. But we really wanted to be with you. We really wanted to worship with you. We wanted to pray for you and pray that there'll be hope and miracles in your life. And but before you leave, um, I want to say a blessing for you, so please receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, hope to see you next Sunday. And um, ahui ho. Until then, God bless. The one who knows us best is the one true God of the universe. Jesus loves and cares for you. If you want to catch up on or re-listen to previous services, you can find past sermons on our website 
fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. Now, because of the recent rise in COVID cases, First Prez will go back to online worship services only. Those services happen Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. Once again, there will not be any in-person worship for the time being, only online. In the meantime, please sign up for First Prez emails where you can get links to sermons, daily devotionals, church news and updates, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you. Happy New Year. Stay safe. And thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2021 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.